Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or it's easier to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, get a podcast link, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Radio Havana, Cuba, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, and NHK Japan. We will begin with France 24. In the UK, there are ongoing large walkouts led by nurses for the National Health Service and ambulance staff, the biggest in NHS history. In France, 400,000 citizens took part in a general strike in Paris, mainly over proposed pension reforms. Then a press review on Ukrainian President Zelensky asking for jet fighters in both Paris and London. France 24. This picket line outside the Royal Victoria Infirmary in Newcastle was one of countless across England on Monday as tens of thousands of nurses and ambulance staff took part in the biggest walkout in the 75-year history of the NHS. The tiredness and just the, um, the morale is so low now on the wards. It's, it's, you can see why people are leaving. It is a graduate profession. It should be paid as such. We are never going to attract people. We're not going to retain people if we don't pay an actual livable wage, and that is just not happening at the moment. They're demanding a pay rise to deal with the worst inflation in the UK in four decades. The government says this would be unaffordable and cause yet higher prices and, as a result, higher interest rates. We are working constructively with the trade unions in terms of what cover they can provide within the context of the strikes and then putting in place contingency measures with NHSE colleagues in terms of those areas where there's gaps. More walkouts are planned over the coming days. It's part of a wave of industrial action across the country. Hundreds of thousands of public sector workers have taken part in strikes since last summer, with half a million walking out last week alone. In Scotland and Wales, strikes have been suspended while authorities and unions negotiate. In England, neither side is relenting. protests for the last uh, six hours as everyone has been gradually moving um, east of Paris. Uh, now the streets are very crowded and as you can see behind me the atmosphere is one of uh, it's quite festive and it's also one of defiance. You've got people chanting, singing. Um, today we have had, according to the trade unions, around 400,000 strikers in the streets of Paris. Now this is 20% less than the last strikes on January 31st but none Nonetheless, no one here seems discouraged. Uh, the strikers I spoke to are even more determined. This is a fight which they will not give up. And they're looking forward to more strikes coming um, later this week on Saturday 11th of February. 
They're expecting more workers from the private sector. Absolutely. So um, the things on Saturday as well is that it is the start of the uh, holidays and um, the strikes, the protests will be affecting the nation, uh, but also will be affecting those who are uh, meant to be going on holiday. Um, and it also shows because it'll be uh, the workers from the private sector are joining, it really just goes to show how many people are supporting this movement. And if you actually look at opinion polls um, in the recent days, like the poll this morning, only 39% of the population are in favour of the reform. So we're really seeing, as the strikes go on, we're really seeing a difference here in terms of how many people are taking to the streets and joining this movement. Lisa Kamenoff reporting live uh, in the eastern east of Paris near Place de la Bastille. And after London and Paris, the Ukrainian president is heading to Brussels this morning for a summit of EU leaders. His surprise visits have been garnering lots of attention in the media. Our press reviewer, Deepti Gilleron, is here to tell us more. Well, Sharon, let's start with that uh, trip to Paris. The Ukrainian leader actually gave an interview uh, to the French newspaper Le Figaro. You see it here in their coverage today. It's a, <coughs> it's a, a wide-ranging interview uh, in which he tells the French Daily that Russia is, quote, 99% losing the war and once again reiterates those calls on the West to provide more weapons to overcome their last hesitations and provide more weapons so that uh, you could, that the Ukrainian troops need uh, to fight this war, warning that if this isn't the case, uh, Vladimir Putin will take his war beyond Ukrainian borders. A lot of reaction to the British papers deep tea after Zelensky made that speech to Parliament at Westminster. That's right. He did begin uh, that trip in a similar vein uh, to the Paris trip, uh, making a plea for fighter jets and also praising former Prime Minister Boris Johnson for his support. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website france24.com as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. The imprisoned former president of Peru, Pedro Castillo, gave an interview to a newspaper describing the hatred and threats against him and his family since he was elected. Former Brazilian President Bolsonaro has applied for a six-month tourist visa to stay in the United States. 11,000 Nigerians have sued Shell Oil for compensation over devastating oil spills. Radio Havana, Cuba. Peru's El Salto newspaper has published an interview with former President Pedro Castillo, who has remained in the Barbadillo Maximum Security Prison since Congress removed him from the presidency on December the 7th of last year. Castillo said, stressing that there are no guarantees of legal, political or civil security in Peru, quote, I have feared for my life since the second round of the 2021 elections when the death threats against me and my family began. He recalled that far-right politicians and citizens beat him up with metal pieces and bolts in the city of Tacna. He remembered also that Lima Mejor and entrepreneur Rafael Lopez once exclaimed at a rally, Death to Castillo. He stressed, quote, At other times, my family and I are mocked for our dress, accent and background. These attacks are manifestations of hatred and racism, recalling that the Peruvian Reich even accused him of being a terrorist. 
Castillo said, quote, The harassment was constant and disturbing. Therefore, I had no option than keeping my wife and children safe. He said that he had regretted that the Barbadillo prison's restrictions do not allow him to maintain contact with his wife and sons who have taken refuge in Mexico. About his decisions as president, he said, quote, I never tried to subvert Peruvian institutions. I wanted to get closer to the people. I wanted to demonstrate that popular power is the ultimate expression of society. I did not want to obey economic elites, but to put my people first. The former president also emphasized that the prosecutor who opened the case against him was not present at his arrest that was executed without prior legal process and in front of his family. Quote, my fundamental right was violated. I was the victim of a plot. I am the first Peruvian teacher and farmer to hold the presidency. I was democratically elected, but the Peruvian right never accepted my victory. Brazil's former president Jair Bolsonaro has applied for a six-month tourist visa to remain in the United States, his lawyer said, as the far-right politician faces an investigation at home into accusations he had inside this month's riot in the Brazilian capital. U.S. authorities received Bolsonaro's visa application on Friday. His lawyer, Felipe Alexandre, told the Reuters news agency in an email statement on Monday. The news was first reported by the Financial Times. While the application is processed, Bolsonaro will remain in the United States, Alexander said. He would like to take some time off, clear his head, and enjoy being a tourist in the United States for a few months before deciding what his next step will be, his lawyer said. Whether or not he will use the full six months will be up to him, and whatever strategy we agree to embark on based on his plans as they develop, Bolsonaro, who left Brazil for the United States just days before his successor, left when President Luis Inácio Lula da Silva was inaugurated on January the 1st, has faced widespread criticism after a mob of his supporters rioted in the capital of Brasilia on January the 8th. Thousands of Bolsonaro supporters ransacked the country's Congress, Presidential Palace and Supreme Court in a bid to pressure the military to overturn the October election results, which saw Lula narrowly defeat his far-right rival in a tense runoff. Bolsonaro, a former army captain who has expressed admiration for the military regime that ruled Brazil from 1964 to 1985, had falsely claimed for months that the country's electronic voting system was vulnerable to fraud. He maintained a long public silence after the election results were confirmed and never formally recognized Lula's victory, prompting some observers to say that he had set the stage for the riot in Brasilia. More than 11,000 Nigerians from the oil-producing Niger Delta region have filed a compensation claim against Shell at the London High Court. The case filed by UK law firm Lee Day is the latest step in a case that will test whether multinationals can be held to account for the actions of overseas subsidiaries. In 2021, the UK Supreme Court allowed a group of 42,500 Nigerian farmers and fishermen to sue Shell in the English courts after years of oil spills had contaminated land and groundwater. The judges said at the time there was an arguable case that Shell, one of the world's biggest energy companies, was responsible because it exercised significant control over its Nigeria subsidiary SPDC. In London, Lee Day said it had filed claims on behalf of 11,317 people and 17 institutions, including churches and schools from the Ogale community in the Niger Delta, for compensation for loss of livelihoods and damage against Shell. 
That brings the total number of villagers seeking compensation from Shell to 13,652. The claims said all spills resulting from Shell's operation in the Niger Delta have destroyed farms, contaminated drinking water, and harmed aquatic life. The average life expectancy in the region is 41 years, 10 years lower than the national average. The next stage in the case is for a case management hearing to be set in spring 2023, ahead of the full trial which is likely to occur the following year, Lee Day said in a statement. Oil spills, sometimes due to vandalism or corrosion, are common in the Niger Delta. A vast maze of creeks and mangrove swamps crisscrossed by pipelines and brighted by poverty, pollution and oil field corruption. In 2020 and 2021, Nigeria's National Oil Spill Detection and Response Agency recorded 822 combined oil spills, totaling 28,003 barrels of oil spewed into the environment. SPDC was culpable for most of them, residents said, but the company has often blamed sabotage for the spill. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcasts have not been updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140 and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6000, 6060, or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon on Monday through Friday, Pacific Standard Time. On to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Oil companies have made record profits stimulated by the war in Ukraine while investing almost nothing in renewable energy projects. Parts of Syria, like Turkey, have been demolished by earthquakes, but equipment and aid to the areas have been held up by sanctions and no media focus. The Russian defense minister said that Western weapons to Ukraine will continue to escalate the war. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle The war in Ukraine has sent energy prices through the roof and oil companies are the big winners. Exxon, for example, ExxonMobil reported a profit of almost $56 billion for the last year, earnings not seen in more than 150 years of corporate company's history. Shell just announced a record profit of $40 billion, and U.S. company Chevron has doubled its annual earnings to a record $35.5 billion dollars, which is the biggest in its history as well. Including BP and Total, the Big Five raked in an astounding $190 billion last year. But also the money they saved by cutting investment. A new study shows that in 2021, Big Oil reinvested less than 6% of their profits. Shareholder dividends have grown and renewable energy projects have been the biggest losers. U.S. President Joe Biden hit out at American energy giants, insisting they should be helping to bring down energy prices during a cost-of-living crisis, and leaders in the U.K. have voiced similar demands. Earlier, I spoke to Christian Küchen, head of the Fuels and Energy Industry Association here in Germany. Shell invested less than 1% of its $381 billion revenue last year in renewable projects. That is not a good look, is it? Of course, we need major investments in renewable energies. It's not enough, but speaking about Europe, it's still very difficult. Many of the projects are stopped because of missing uh, clear, reliable, practically working 
regulation. That is, I can speak for Germany and Europe, lots of projects are pending. These energy companies, they've been initiating tremendous, huge uh, buyback pro uh, uh, programs of stock. Shell announced another $4 billion share buyback program. In a world that's confronted with multiple crises, energy shortage, climate change, uh, that doesn't look good either, does it? We agree, and I'm pretty sure we will see a bit better, a big increase of these investments. Whether it's sufficient to reach climate objectives, well, probably not. I would acknowledge that, that yes. Governments have already imposed windfall taxes on energy companies. Word in the UK is that it's not enough what has been done. Do you expect more political headwind? This makes it difficult, yes. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a good signal for investments. Christian Küchen, General Manager at the Fuels and Energy Industry Association. Thank you for your time. In Syria, international aid has reached a rebel-held enclave despite complications caused by a 12-year civil war. An official at the Babalawa border crossing between Turkey and Syria has confirmed that a UN aid convoy has entered the region where millions rely on humanitarian aid. A DW team is there and sent this exclusive report. Digging through the rubble in the Syrian town of Harem. Just one of hundreds in the region that have been flattened by the quake. Rescuers often just using their bare hands or the most basic of tools. Rafat is one of the locals frustrated by the lack of proper digging machinery. That's compounded by exhaustion after working two days without sleep. We need help from other countries. We're getting some equipment, but we have people under the rubble and we're trying to pull them out. We have mallets, but what good are mallets? What we really need is heavy equipment to rescue people. They've been under the rubble for 48 hours and we need heavy equipment to get them out. Some bulldozers have arrived, but they're not nearly enough given the widespread scale of destruction and hopes of finding more survivors are diminishing by the hour. While the able-bodied assist with rescue efforts, others are left to ponder what's next for them. We don't have any clothes or any possessions anymore. We were in the streets in the rain, without socks or anything. We don't have anyone to stay with. My siblings died in Aleppo. Rafat and the other helpers in Harem will continue to hammer away until their mission is complete. And after that, they'll have another massive task, rebuilding their village. And let's cross over to Yangshan Shishakli, CEO of the Maram Foundation. He's joining us from Gaziantep in Turkey. We hear reports about a first convoy that made it over the border from Turkey into Syria. Uh, but is that heavy lifting equipment that we've heard about arriving in other parts of, of Turkey, uh, arriving in parts of Syria where it's also needed? We have to be clear about this. I mean, this uh, convoy, six big trucks were scheduled before the earthquake. So basically, it doesn't have any earthquake responding equipment, doesn't have really first aid equipment. It's just being scheduled before. Yes, it's necessary, it's needed, but it's nothing, nothing yet came after the earthquake or came belonging to the earthquake. How can Syrians hope to even help or save 
uh, their relatives, their friends who are stuck under rubble when all they have is their, their hands to dig through the rubble. Uh, none of the heavy lifting equipment and none of the international expertise when it comes to finding earthquake survivors. You know, it's very sad. Not even heavy lifting equipment, not, not, no equipment at all. People are taking like wherever they find like small forks, farming forks, wherever they can find. And in many cases, by their hands, going to their relative houses and they digging the ground and they're calling for everybody's help. So you always see civil society teams, of course, including our organization, I, the one I work for. They're going from door to door asking for people's support. And there is no equipment. And I'm we're talking about, the, I mean, an area where it's uh, surviving a 12 years war. So basically, unless we get good equipment or normal equipment, we're not going to be able to help more people. The civil uh, defense, White Hamlet mentioned, that they will give up soon because it's been three days and they cannot work anymore uh, hoping to find people. Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu has said that Western weapons in Ukraine will lead to the escalation of the war. Speaking to military officials, Shoigu said the supplies, quote, effectively draw NATO countries into the conflict. Last week, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky said weapons supplied by the West would not be used for attacks on Russian territory. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, dw.com, as well as most podcast sites. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached to the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please, help me continue producing this weekly show which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet. Many, many thanks to all of those who have helped me out. We will conclude with NHK World Radio Japan. China claims that the balloon that crossed the United States was a civilian craft for weather research. The U.S. military will use four more bases in the Philippine Islands. North Korea complained and threatened in response to more U.S. military exercises on the Korean Peninsula. And on a more optimistic note, Panasonic is to begin manufacturing supplementary batteries for electric vehicles that can be used to power households and businesses. NHK Japan the U.S. government released new photos Tuesday of what it says is a Chinese spy balloon it shot down. They show sailors hauling a large white object onto a boat off the coast of South Carolina on Sunday. China has reacted sharply to the downing of the balloon, saying it was an unmanned civilian craft mainly used for weather research. The Pentagon says it asked Beijing to hold talks between each country's top defense officials, but the request was rejected. It also says it's important to maintain open lines of communication between the U.S. and China to responsibly manage their relationship. We begin in the Philippines. The United States will have a bigger military profile there after a deal to use four more bases. U.S. leaders appear to want more of a deterrent against China's growing military activities in the region.
U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin had separate talks in Manila Thursday with Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. and Defense Secretary Carlito Galvez Jr. The future of the Philippines, and for that matter, the Asia Pacific, will always have to involve the United States simply because those partnerships are so strong. Our alliance makes both of our democracies more secure and helps uphold a free and open Indo-Pacific. The deal will bring the number of bases the U.S. can use in the Philippines to nine. The additional locations have not been announced. China reacted sharply. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Mao Ning said a U.S. military buildup in the region is heightening tension and harming peace and stability. Pyongyang says the military and political situation on the Korean Peninsula has reached what it calls an extreme red line. The warning centers around drills by the U.S. and South Korea. Washington and Seoul held joint exercises on Wednesday over the Yellow Sea, west of the peninsula. South Korea's military says B-1 bombers and F-35 stealth fighter jets were involved. Seoul stressed it will respond firmly to nuclear and missile threats from Pyongyang. Reaction from the north came Thursday. In a statement, it referenced talks this week between U.S. and South Korean defense chiefs. It criticized their pledge to enhance extended deterrence in which the U.S. protects its allies with nuclear and other weapons. Pyongyang says its response to any U.S. military attempt will be based on the principle of what it calls nuke for nuke and an all-out confrontation for an all-out confrontation. It also warns that if the U.S. continues to introduce strategic assets onto the peninsula and its surrounding area, the North will make its deterring activities clearer. Surging electricity bills are imposing a severe financial strain on households and businesses in Japan. But one way to ease the burden is to store power in electric vehicles. Electronics giant Panasonic will start taking orders later this month for its vehicle-to-home power system. An EV or a large battery is used to store power generated by solar panels or other means during the day day, and supply it for home use. The system can kick in as an emergency power source if the electricity grid goes down during natural disasters. It can provide the energy needs of a family of four for about four days. Panasonic says the system can cut power bills by around 60%. It expects demand to be high, even though the equipment costs about 4.5 million yen, or $34,000. Meanwhile, major trading house Sumitomo Corporation is planning to use EVs to power offices or machinery. It will launch a new subsidiary in April to lease EVs and chargers. Employees can commute in the vehicles, which will then be used to store power while they work. The electricity can either be used on-site or at home after the employees drive back. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 9865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp.
They also podcast at most podcast sites. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.